If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 87 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Greg Smith, co-founder and CEO of Thinkific, a company that describes itself as providing a platform for empowering modern course creators. Before we get to that interview, though, we want to take a moment to thank Castle, our sponsor for the second quarter of 2017. Castle is an accomplished full services certification and licensure testing company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. With an expert team of testing and instructional design professionals and a 30-year history of excellence in its field, Castle understands what it takes to develop and deliver quality learning and certification programs. To find out more about Castle's custom learning solutions, go to leadinglearning.com castle. For our resource for this episode, we want to highlight a free weekly webinar hosted by Thinkific, which is the company Greg Smith, our interviewee for this episode, founded. This is a live training session that takes place every Monday and Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's designed to teach you step-by-step how to build an online course and start growing your online course business. And of course, it'll also give you an up-close look at the Thinkific platform. Now, I've attended Thinkific webinars myself before, and they're always really full of practical, usable advice. So to find out more about this one and sign up, just head over to leadinglearning.com thinkific. So Jeff, I know that part of your conversation with Greg was around creating and selling courses because he himself has had success creating and selling courses. That's right, he has. You know, part of the reason we wanted to talk with him was because we feel like Thinkific represents what's really kind of a, a new breed of platform provider, um, platforms that are really geared towards entrepreneurial individuals, entrepreneurial organizations that want to get up running quickly with courses um, and have all the tools they need to market and sell them kind of built into the platform. So, you know, there's that aspect and we wanted to definitely talk about uh, how Greg is seeing this whole world of, of online learning and how it's evolving. But then, you know, as you suggest, he's somebody who really walks the walk. Uh, he was actually a, a course entrepreneur before he was ever a, a platform entrepreneur. And in fact, you know, is based on the revenues that he was generating off of his own course initially that he was able to fund the development of Thinkific. So, you know, he's somebody who's been on the front lines as a course entrepreneur and has had success at that. So, you know, we talk about that experience. We talk about his experience in launching and, and growing a company and being a leader of that. And, and then we talk about his general perspective perspectives on entrepreneurship. So there's really just a lot of practical advice in here. Um, You know, I would strongly recommend uh, being prepared to take notes or at the very least uh, to visit the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 87. Well, great. Let's get on with the interview with Greg Smith. Hello, this is Jeff Cobb, and I am really excited about the show that we have lined up for today. 
Joining me is Greg Smith, who is co-founder and CEO of Thinkific. And for anyone not familiar with Thinkific, the company provides a platform that empowers modern course creators and gives them everything they need to easily create, market, and sell online courses. And I really like this part of it, to focus on their learning business rather than tools. So we'll definitely talk about marketing and and selling courses uh, and also focusing on business in this episode. But first, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. And you know, like I said, I want to dig into your perspective on the learning business, being an entrepreneur in the learning business. But uh, b- before that, I thought maybe we'd start at what I guess I'd characterize as more of a national level. And uh, as we discussed a little bit before this, you know, I have this impression of Canada and Canadians as having really contributed quite a lot to the growth of online learning, you know, in terms of leading edge thinking, technology, adoption by universities. And, you know, I have in my mind uh, some thinkers like Stephen Downs or George Siemens or institutions like Athabasca. And so, you know, maybe more in the university space, but there also seems to be a lot of kind of, you know, startup tech company type activity and also some really established companies like Desire to Learn. So, I'd love to to get your perspective on that. I mean, what what's in the, what's in the water there? I mean, why, why is it that Canada, <laughs> you know, is uh, doing so much in the world of uh, online education? Well, I think uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think we we do in Canada at least in, invest pretty heavily in education, and our university network is smaller. Obviously, just a, a lower number of universities, but even a, a smaller number of universities. I think per capita and per per state or province provinces for us. But you know, I know in the in the U.S., you you definitely have sort of tiered systems within the universities. Of some universities are maybe significantly better uh, than others. Uh, in Canada. You're, we're pretty lucky in that any university across the country, you're looking at sort of a tier one university where you can can expect similar results. And so I think we've just looked at the education industry a little bit differently. And, and even maybe just culturally, there's been a, a big... Uh, push at least what I grew up with uh, grew up with around education mm. and uh, and then we have we do have a lot of support for tech companies uh, you do in the US as well uh, but definitely a lot of support for tech companies and I think those two th- blending together uh, has created a great acceptance of uh, educational entrepreneurialism and acceptance of technology I think you're right especially in the university space uh, in Canada I, I think I see more of it maybe on the high school side in the US uh, but uh, but on the university University side, we see a lot here in Canada of, of a lot more acceptance of technology and companies like Desire to Learn and MediaCore and some of these others that uh, that are taking advantage of that. Right. So, so it sounds like uh, you're definitely in fertile territory for for online education and potentially you know, becoming an entrepreneur in online education as you've done. But uh, but if I understand correctly, I mean you you started as a lawyer. So I mean, when did it first hit you? you know, that, uh, that a, that you were an entrepreneur, um, you know, and then B that you were going to apply that in the online education space. Uh, well, the the entrepreneur side came even before law. So even in high school and university, I always had a, a side business or a business, whether it was in, we did some stuff in custom clothing and then uh, ecotourism and uh, advertising. Uh, but the education side, I always had a keen interest in education. And when I was just starting doing my law degree, I was teaching a classroom course on how to write the LSAT, the law school admissions test. Mm. And that 
led to having a blog about the LSAT, which led to me creating a mini online course for the LSAT. And I think that was really the start of all of this. And that was about 11 years ago that I got that up and running. And once I had that online course running and I saw that I could reach people, I mean, that's the beauty of it as an online perspective is we talk about Canada, but as soon as I had my online course up and running, the bulk of my clients were global, a lot out of the US, especially with the LSAT, uh, but really a bunch of different countries around the world, especially now with the acceptance of the LSAT. So the great thing about the uh, online education space is that I was able to very, very quickly reach people all over the world. So I went from being able to put maybe 10 or 15 people into a classroom to teach them to suddenly having thousands of students. So that's interesting. I knew that you had uh, been a, an on, online course creator yourself. Uh, I didn't realize you had that it had been that long ago. So you've got, you know, you were kind of a pioneer in this. You've got quite a history uh, in this area. And I mean, if I understand correctly, you were actually really able to fund Thinkific uh, to, to get it off of the ground uh, because of the revenue that you were generating uh, from selling your, your online course. Is, is that, am I correct in understanding that? Yeah, that's right. So we had the the LSAT course running and it was doing well. In fact, by the time I left practicing law, the uh, the LSAT course was probably producing more revenue than my legal practice. And wow. it just kept going from there. So uh, that that really helped for sure with starting Thinkific out in the early days. And so I, I'm sure listeners are going to be wondering, you know, how, how the heck did you pull that off, you know, to have a, a course out there that did that well? Um, so, I mean, what do you see as the secret, if, if there is one, to, uh, you know, to, to creating courses that, that sell. I mean, you know, if, if somebody's listening now saying, you know, how am I going to have that kind of success? What are some of the things you would tell them? Uh, well, the biggest, I think, so one of the big things I learned in the early days is when I wanted to launch, launch that LSAT course, I'm kind of a perfectionist in some ways. And so I said, okay, I'm going to create this massive, you know, multi hundred hour course that's going to cover everything I can imagine and would ever want to teach on the LSAT. And my brother, luckily, who was my roommate at the time said, why don't you get something ready that you can launch by the end of the month, given mm. that you already have a full-time job. Uh, so he convinced me that just to get the best that I could get done in 30 days out. And so we launched with that, saw a little bit of revenue, and then we were able to gather student feedback and iterate on that, both mm -hmm. iterate on the course and the content and the software, uh, because we were building our own software at the time, and also iterate over the marketing. And I think the big mistake that I see some people make is they obsess over the details of getting everything right before they launch. And it's actually a much better scenario to just get something out in the hands of students or clients or learners and iterate from there by getting feedback. It doesn't mean you have to go out there with something horrible, uh, but it shouldn't be perfect uh, because then you can go and get feedback. Right, right. So that uh, minimum viable product uh, idea, um, is, is, that, is that a concept you were familiar with at the time or uh, did, did that just come to you or to your brother, I guess, intuitively that that would be the, the best way to go about things? I think he was familiar with it. I don't think I'd quite read, uh, I don't know if Lean Startup was out at that point, mm -hmm. uh, the book, but uh, he was at least familiar, whether it was uh, through reading things or just intuitively, but th he was the one who kind of pushed that on me. And and we've carried that through, you know, from then until now in terms of even our, you know, first launch of Thinkific and everything we did with it in the early days was getting it out, putting it in the hand of the customers, learning from them, iterating over our marketing and our product. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, g getting the pilot, getting the minimum viable product out there, iterating, um, certainly something that, that we definitely recommend to uh, course developers as, as well. I mean, what, what else do you see as kind of fundamental to success right now with um, 
selling online courses? I mean, are there, are there other key practices? Are there, you know, favorite tools uh, aside from your own platform, of course, but, you know, marketing tools, things that uh, really help with uh, making the, the launch and, and the ongoing success of, a, of an online course a reality? Yeah, I guess you could divide it into two areas. There's success, which I would define a little differently than just making the sales. Mm-hmm. And that I would look at a, a lot of stuff on the the student success, which I know you're a big fan of. And then there's the other side, which is just closing the, you know, getting the, closing the deal, getting those sales done, getting the marketing done. And that's really more of a marketing problem than anything specific to education. It's the same as marketing any other product online is it's getting out there and, uh, building a relationship, finding out what people want, having a unique message, uh, making a promise that resonates with them, and then making sure that you're communicating to that to them at various touch points along the way. I think the nice thing with a lot of your listeners is if they're in a professional uh, organization or they have a membership, uh, they've already got 90% of the difficult work because they have mm-hmm. the list of people who are interested. And in many cases, like me as a lawyer, I have education requirements. So it's uh, it's a fairly easy sell in that I have to go and take a certain number of credit hours of education every year. So if you have that scenario where you already have a membership that's, that's invested in education, uh, then it's a little bit easier. And now it's just about getting in front of them and making sure you're uh, delivering them a message to them and then finding out if that message resonates and, and iterating on it from there. If you don't have that audience, then there's a ton of places you can go to build it. YouTube's been wildly successful for me just by putting up mini videos that are some of my best content and directing them back to my full online course from there. Uh, Quora, actually Q-U-O-R-A.com has been great. I go on there and just answer questions that relate to my subject matter expertise and then link back to the course for more information. Uh, but lots of little places like that. But again, a lot of that is, is sort of experimental. You get out there, you experiment with something, uh, you see if it's working and if it works, then you double down and do a whole lot more of it rather than trying to spread yourself too thin and touch every single marketing point that you hear about. Right, right. And, and uh, thanks for mentioning those specific tools. Um, I'm definitely a fan of both Quora and, uh, and YouTube. Um, but, you know, as you said, trade and professional associations, membership organizations in, in, in general, I mean, they've kind of got the audience, they've kind of got the list, but, um, but a lot of times, I mean, there's there's still so much competition, mainly for people's attention. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds like, you know, from your perspective to, to experiment with, um, I mean, what's essentially content marketing uh, to figure out what's going to grab your audience's attention so that you, you do stand out from uh, the competition. I mean, is there, is there anything else that, that you've found um, just in terms of, you know, strategy or practices that, you know, that, help a course or a course maker to, to stand out in a, in a crowded market where there's a lot of competition for the potential learner's attention? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so there's an element to it that is brand. So if you are a professional organization, uh, you do come with a certain element of trust and, and brand around that. So that can allow you to stand out from some of the other maybe private or, or even in some cases profit versus nonprofit organizations in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one, I think, especially for the professionals is if you have a a complete, if you're working towards a complete suite of products. So, you know, as a lawyer, if I know I have to have my 16 hours or 12 hours in a year and I can subscribe to something maybe that's going to give me all of that. Uh, I know a lot of organizations in that area have requirements around ethics and ethics training. Uh, so if that's sort of included in there, that's always a big win. Uh, there's an element of timing and when you deliver on people. So uh, for me, uh, as lawyers, we have to have all our credit 
gets done by the by December 31st each year and we're almost always missing two hours of ethics training right at the end of the year and so you get a, a whole bunch of marketing for these ethics related courses at the end of the year so mm. if that's something that fits with your audience and you can get in there at that time when it's most valuable to them, uh, pick them up easily as a subscriber at that point in time, or, or someone who's going to then come back and take more from you in January and February, that helps to build your audience and their usage of you very at the, at the right time of the year. Uh, some other things that work are having, it can work where you have people who are kind of known, uh, teaching the courses. So again, I've seen some professional organizations go out and, uh, get some of the best people in the field to teach the courses for them. Sometimes they'll even do a revenue share with them or, or a royalty or other times they'll just pay them to come in and teach the course one time and record it and then put it online. So that can work well. And then a big one is, is if you can get other people promoting the course for you. So sort of, a uh, almost an affiliate relationship, but where they, uh, you have people in the space, uh, sharing your content, sharing your courses. Uh, it, it takes some of the marketing burden off of you if they can go out and share it. And that joint venture kind of relationship can work really well in a lot of different areas. Uh, but in particular in, in courses, if you have someone who's known in the industry and they're sharing it with people, uh, that can work well too. Definitely. Definitely. We've, we've, we've certainly seen that work well. Now, uh, switching gears just a, a little bit, um, and I, I've been kind of dying to, to ask you this question during the time that I've known you, but um, why did you feel that it was necessary to create a course platform? Because, I, I mean, I think even back when when you were starting to do this, um, there were there were hundreds probably of, you know, learning management systems out there at least. So, I mean, what was what was the gap that uh, that you felt needed to be filled or, or, you know, what was missing that the, that the Thinkific platform was going to address? Yeah, definitely. And we certainly, we did not set out to build our own system. I would have much preferred to take something off the shelf and use it. But when we were first launching my course and, and building Thinkific initially was sort of about solving my problem. But when we first launched my course, there's tons of LMSs out there, but they were they were, most of them were lacking in a few key areas. One, not particularly easy to use. So often required a, a lot of technical knowledge or a team of people or a whole bunch of implementation to get it set up. A lot of them were bloated with features that were kind of unnecessary. And so they became fairly difficult to use with, with a whole bunch of different settings and things within them. Uh, really difficult to make it look pretty. And that was a really big factor there. Uh, I guess the prettiness factor and the e-commerce element. So I was specifically going out and saying, I want to be able to sell courses online. I want to be able to collect money to get people into these courses. And I also had some free courses, but I knew that I needed to convert people who were not my employees to take these courses. So I think the conventional LMS was built for a student in an institution or an employee, and we were trying to build the LMS that was built for people outside of your direct control or organization, where you needed them to make the choice to convert. And that required two things. It required um, great conversion optimization, uh, and it required a beautiful-looking site, uh, essentially landing pages and things like that, so that people could easily sign up. And I really couldn't find anything like that at all uh, that made that easy to do and go out and say, okay, we've got beautiful a beautiful site built into our learning platform. People can come and very easily sign up, uh, high conversion rates, as well as the ability to, uh, build e-commerce into it. And so that's really what we set it out to do. The one, th the, the few places that came along shortly after us that started doing this 
we're much more focused on more of the marketplace and, uh, and with Mm -hmm. them, then you're essentially, I was giving up control. So I never really allowed my course to go into any of those marketplaces, uh, because that was sort of the other big thing that we wanted to focus on is ease of use, the e-commerce, uh, very beautiful. And then having total control over everything you do so that you could actually build it into your business and, and own everything that you did. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of retaining control, particularly over your data. Uh, you, you definitely want to make sure you have that. Um, and I, I and certainly, I, I think you've nailed it with um, uh, the, the focus on conversion, because, I mean, we've certainly seen many platforms come along who, you know, realize that there is this audience out there that needs to sell courses. And as you said, you know, to sell courses to people who, uh, you know, have a lot of choices, it could go to many other places. But I think that, um, you know, it wasn't until I saw Thinkific and, and maybe some of the other, you know, platforms that are in the same general category, um, that, uh, that I realized that there were platforms really focusing on this issue of conversion, you know, marketing, looking the way that a, a modern, you know, shopper for, for courses or anything else is going to want a website to look and then, you know, being able to support that call to action and actually convert them into a customer. So I think that that's an incredibly important distinction. And I can see how, how you focused on that. Now you, you've obviously been uh, pretty successful at at doing this because uh, I you know I've, I've seen some of the growth numbers on your site in, in terms of uh, you know employees uh, you know you're, you're staffing up uh, it seems uh, month over month um, it started out as you said with with just you and and your brother involved I mean what's that journey been like I mean what are some of the the biggest challenges that you've had as a leader in you know making your way through significant growth. Uh, lots, lots of fun challenges along the way. I mean, we're, yeah, we started with this, the two of us, we're 62 now. And, uh, my brother's actually gone on to start his own company in the social media marketing space. Uh, so 62 without him, although he still advises lots. So I'd say lots of different challenges along the way. Uh, early days, it was really figuring out that product market fit. So we built the product for me, but then didn't really have an easy way of sharing. It, the funny thing is the product we wanted to build in the very, very early days was sort of this like a, a Shopify for online courses where anyone could come and self-serve and very easily set it up on their own, on their own domain or website with full control and make it look pretty. But we couldn't really do that with the technology and the skill set that we had at that time. It would have been just, you know, too, it, it took a, quite a while to get to that point. Hmm. So early days, it was a lot of iteration over different business models and trying to work with different client bases, um, actually focused very heavily on the, the professional associations uh, and professional development credit learning uh, for quite a while there, which worked well. And we still have a, a large number of those people as clients, um, but eventually came back full circle to where we were at. So I'd say that the early challenges were as you're really figuring out how does your product really fit in the market uh, and getting it to the point where we have this product market fit. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of a difficult thing to define, but when you have it, you really know it because everything becomes so much easier. Suddenly, rather than calling people up and trying to convince them to use your product, uh, you have people writing you sort of begging for it or thanking you so much that they've found it and that they've been looking for it for years. Uh, and that's really that, that big turning point. So getting up to that point, it was a whole bunch of iteration and challenges of you know limited revenue and resources and trying to develop a product that people absolutely love and figuring out who those people are going to be because you can't build something for everyone. Right. 
Right. Uh, once we got that in place, then you get a whole bunch of different challenges of, you know, should you raise money or how quickly do you grow or who do you hire and what that next hire is. Um, early days, I think of the first 30 people we hired, we had to let 10 go because we weren't great at, uh, at building that team properly and understanding who we needed on the team and how to select. Mm. So that was another big challenge of figuring out the hiring and team building side. I mean, surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you is really the, uh, probably one of the most important things I think in building a business in the early days. And eventually we came to a place where we really figured that out. So of the second 30 people that we hired, uh, I think only one is no longer here so that we, we made a really big shift in how we even do that. And that's, that's helped a lot. Uh, and now we're at this point where it's, it's a lot of, a, uh, a balance between process and speed, uh, with more people, you need more process or things kind of go off the rail. So we, we probably tend to err on the side of over-processing, but that slows things down a little bit sometimes. Well, maybe related to, um, to that point and, and you may not be quite this far along yet, but, uh, I mean, are you finding it more challenging to, to think entrepreneurially at, at this point? Uh, and, and maybe, you know, along with that, uh, what does that mean to you to, to think entrepreneurially? Yeah. I mean, we, I'd say we're still super innovative and entrepreneurial, but I think it's a slow change over time where you go from being able to come up with an idea on Monday and deploy something on Friday and get it out in the market and play around with it. Uh, But now I'd say that we're at this place where when we put something out into our clients' hands, because it's tens of thousands of people we're putting it into the hands of and millions of students, we have to be a little bit more careful about just putting something out there. Uh, so we do have to go a little bit more slower at times. Uh, but at the same time, we have a bigger team. So in, in many ways, we can be a lot more innovative. So for example, we're we're building a room here in our new office just to play around with uh, virtual reality technology. And we don't really have a specific objective. I know it's coming. I know it's going to change education considerably. Mm. Uh, I love the book Ready Player One, where it's sort of built in this virtual reality uh, world. And, and a lot of it is based around a school. But uh, but we don't know exactly where that's going to go, but we're going to invest in it and play around with it. So that's something we never would have had the time or the or the finances to do in early days. So in many ways, we can actually be even more innovative now. Well, and that's a, a great segue to what was going to be my next question. And, and that's, you know, where do you see things evolving over the next, you know, say five years or so, both specifically for Thinkific, but then also more broadly for online learning? What are you seeing as some of the, the biggest opportunities? Uh, well, for Thinkific, our big focus, we want to be as open as possible. So, you know, I, I see some companies in our space being a little bit more closed. They're trying to make sure that you only use their features so that they can sort of bill you for them. What we really want to do is is make it as an open an environment as possible. Um, because I want to avoid what I saw the problem being with the LMSs when I first got into this space, which is they build a, f- a few extra features for a new client who really wants them uh, every time they add a new big client. And eventually they end up with this massive mm-hmm. uh, Titanic of an application that nobody can use well because there's just too much bulk in it. So we're really trying to build the core of education as a platform really, really well. And then for the additional pieces that we don't have, it's very easy to add them on either through integrations or applications uh, or, or uh, you know, just plugging something in. And so we've actually seen 
companies and organizations that have built a fully customized uh, learning platform of their own because they really needed, they really wanted everything customized. And then after two years of building that, they threw it out out it with the trash and uh, signed up for Thinkific. And then they just made a few tweaks and customized uh, our platform in a way where they got everything they needed and we take care of the base and the core of it for them. But that requires us to be very open in terms of things like APIs and, and allowing our software to be customized in any way that people want it. So that's a big thing in the future is just keep pushing down that direction. Um, and then on the bigger trends uh, in the future and, and some other things that we're looking at, I think the two biggest would be virtual reality and artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence by far being the biggest trend, I think, for any industry and anything, well, for humanity. Right. Uh, but VR is interesting for education in particular because I think we'll be able to you know, drop into virtual worlds and, and learn from them. So history class won't It'll be very difficult to teach a boring history class when you can jump into King Tut's tomb and go for a tour uh, or you know, check out the pyramids and see, experience how they were built and, and walk around inside them. Uh, things like that will be possible. So that's, that's kind of exciting. And on the AI front, uh, it's, it's, that's a more difficult one to predict. But uh, yeah, I think sort of like 8 to 15 years out from now, uh, the world's really going to change because of that, and that's going to flow through everything from education and and beyond. I'd say that the early changes that we'll see is that over the next five to ten years, we're going to see this increasing automation of work. So uh, all driving type jobs will will be gone. You won't have Uber drivers. You'll have self driving Ubers. Same with the trucks. Uh, but that's going to start to flow into everything from you know accounting to all sorts of other careers. So you're going to see a lot of people. Uh, increasing their skill sets. And that's mm-hmm. where online education is just going to continue to grow as a need as people need to sort of level up. So in, as an accountant, your job is going to slowly get squeezed more and more towards the top end of the spectrum of needing to make bigger judgment calls uh, rather than just crunching numbers. Uh, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but that's going to require a lot of re-education of the workforce. And that's exciting for us, I think, because it creates a huge opportunity for people to do more exciting and value adding work and and really level up and learn a lot on the way. Yeah, those are fascinating areas. And we've been we've been saying for a while now that, uh, you know, particularly for trade and professional associations that are essentially providing leadership in, in a field or industry that one of the essential things they need to be doing as part of their strategy is, you know, looking out five to 10 to 10 years and asking, you know, what if, you know, what 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 could artificial intelligence change so radically in our field that people are going to have to, you know, learn in a different way or learn an entirely different skill set? And how do we start, you know, moving in that direction with our educational programming and, and our learning opportunities? Um, you know, that, that obviously takes a great deal of foresight, a lot of guesswork, a lot of trial and error. But I think that, um, you know, organizations that are serving a field or industry really have to be thinking that way uh, at this point. Now, I, I know... You know, when you're talking about things like uh, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, you know, obviously a, a lot of change on the horizon because of uh, those sorts of trends. And I imagine, you know, you're, you yourself are probably having to, to constantly learn and, and relearn things just to keep up and, and, you know, to stay on top of your, your own strategy. So we'd like to ask anybody who comes on to the Leading Learning Podcast, you know, what, what are your own lifelong learning habits and practices, you know, how do you make sure you kind of keep, keep the shawl, the, the saw sharp and, you know, are prepared for that future? 
Yeah, I, um, I, I, I have a few things I do. So I go to a few events every year where I, I learn from other people networking, but that's a pretty small number. Uh, but one thing I do on a day-to-day basis on the learning side is, uh, I've got my, I I read a a ridiculous amount and the way I do it now, I used to just, you know, pick up the paperback book or the the hard copy books because I actually prefer to have a bookshelf with physical books on it. I'm a little bit old school that way, I guess. Uh, but lately I've transitioned reluctantly, but now I love it. Uh, I've got a Kindle Mm. and then I've got my audible account and I actually, I'll download the book on my Kindle. And then I'll upgrade to get the audio version of it. So I have both. And then with this sync software, you can actually sync it up. So you're reading it on the Kindle at night. And then I get in my car in the morning or even the shower, I'll turn on the audio book. And it picks up right where I left off reading. Uh, and I'd say since I, I started doing this, it's kind of doubled the, the number of books I can read. And then I love the fact that with the Kindle, you kind of highlight your passages as you read and when you're done, you can have it email you a PDF of all your summary notes from, from what you've highlighted. Uh, so that just allows me to go back and, and go through these things again. So that's one of the biggest ways I do take online courses, uh, obviously, and, and love that. So that's another way that I learn. but the sort of day to day for me is just a ton of reading and, uh, and looking for great book recommendations as to what that next step is. And the stuff I'm focused on learning is all about, uh, management and leadership vision and strategy, and then, and then building great product as well. What, what are some of the best things you've read lately, particularly in that sort of area of, of, of leadership? Uh, well, it's probably the, the one that's, that's an easy, easy sell is, uh, Andy Grove's, uh, high output management. Mm. Uh, he was, uh, well, CEO of uh, Intel and, and just amazing understanding of, of management. Uh, radical candor actually is a great one. Um, I think that's Kim Scott. Uh, she worked at, I think Facebook, Amazon and Google and, and really good around giving feedback to people. Uh, that's definitely a really good one. Uh, I like the science of e-learning just to go to the, the learning side and student mm-hmm. success. Uh, that one's much more of a textbook. I think they have a whole chapter on understanding statistics just so you can read the rest of the book without getting lost. Um, so uh, I've read that a few times and had to sort of distill it into notes so that I can understand it. But but good stuff there for sure. Um, but those are those are sort of three lately that I, I'm enjoying or have enjoyed recently. And you mentioned uh, that you do go to a, a, a handful of events annually. I mean, what are what are some of the events that you find uh, most useful? And I'm, I'm asking this probably selfishly more than anything else. I like to know <laughs> what, what other entrepreneurs yep. find helpful out there. So. Uh, well, I was at, just last week. I was at one called Mastermind Talks, and uh, that was in uh, Carmel, in California, for four four or five days, and that was amazing. That's put on by a guy named Jason Gaynard out of, uh, I think he's in Toronto, um, and that was a, a pretty amazing event. And uh, they actually had, um, uh, I think it was uh, Jim Urban from the blog Wait But Why, and to talk about artificial artificial intelligence, and mm. uh, gave us a pretty interesting look at the future of that and what's coming. Uh, so yeah, that, that's definitely a good one. Well, great. Well, I'll definitely look into that. Um, as well as, uh, some of the, some of the books you've mentioned here, uh, some of which I have not checked out yet. So that'll be great. So I know that listeners can find out about Thinkific at, uh, thinkific.com. Obviously, um, is there, is there any place else that, uh, we should point listeners to, to, you know, find out more about you, find out more about Thinkific, um, just in, in general, you know, how can they best connect with you? 
Uh, thinkific.com is great. Um, I, or at thinkific on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we've got a Facebook group they can hop into, which is a great place to share resources. Uh, and Jeff, do you have a, a link or, or a place that you talk about us on, on your site at all that you could share in the show notes or, or share now or something like that? Well, we'll definitely put a link in the, uh, the show notes, uh, to thinkific so that people are able to, to get, uh, to that, um, directly, or they can just go to leadinglearning.com slash thinkific and, uh, and get there directly as well. So, Excellent. Well, well, great, uh, Greg. Thanks so much for for taking the the time today. It's been a, a true pleasure to have you on the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. That wraps up our interview with Greg Smith. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks again to Castle, a full service certification and licensure testing company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. Find out more about Castle's custom learning solutions at leadinglearning.com slash castle. And as always, we do have detailed show notes to go along with this episode. You can get those by going to leadinglearning.com slash episode 87. And while you're there, you'll also see that there are various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast and aren't already subscribed, we'd be truly grateful if you would take one of those options and subscribe today. We would also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, you go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We truly appreciate it when you do it, and it also helps others to find the podcast. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet to do that simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that will automatically pop up a tweet that's pre-filled with some content. Or if you're not a, a tweeter, you can take that content and send it out on another social network of your preference, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever it is. But do help to spread the good word about the podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.